This is Jeff Steele. Today we're reading Exodus 6, verses 14 through 30. And this is what it says. These are the ancestors of some of the clans of Israel. The sons of Reuben, Israel's oldest son, were Hanok, Palu, Hezron, and Carmi. Their descendants became the clans of Reuben. The sons of Simeon were Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jakin, Zohar, and Shaul. Shaul's mother was a Canaanite woman. Their descendants became the clans of Simeon. These are the descendants of Levi, as listed in their family records. The sons of Levi were Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. Levi lived to be 137 years old. The descendants of Gershon included Livni and Shimai, each of whom became the ancestor of a clan. The descendants of Kohath included Amram, Izhar, Hebron, and Uziel. Kohath lived to be 133 years old. The descendants of Merari included Mahli and Moshi. These are the clans of the Levites, as listed in their family records. Amram married his father's sister, Jochaved, and she gave birth to his sons, Aaron and Moses. Amram lived to be 137 years old. The sons of Izhar were Korah, Nepheg, and Zichri. The sons of Uziel were Mishael, Elzaphan, and Sithri. Aaron married Elisheva, the daughter of Amminadab, and the sister of Nashon. And she gave birth to his sons, Nadab, Abihu, Eliezer, and Ithamar. The sons of Korah were Asir, Elkanah, and Abiasaph. Their descendants became the clans of Korah. Eliezer, son of Aaron, married one of the daughters of Putiel, and she gave birth to his son Phinehas. These are the ancestors of the Levite families, listed according to their clans. The Aaron and Moses named in this list are the same ones to whom the Lord said, Lead the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt like an army. It was Moses and Aaron who spoke to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, about leading the people of Israel out of Egypt. When the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, he said to him, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, everything I am telling you. But Moses argued with the Lord, saying, I can't do it. I'm such a clumsy speaker. Why should Pharaoh listen to me? Well, this is an exciting text, isn't it? The first lesson, actually, to take from this text is um, don't read a list of names like that too smoothly, or you will always get assigned to these kinds of texts in future audio devotionals. I, uh, I, I tried the Moses excuse to explain that I'm really a clumsy speaker, but uh, here we are. So thank you, Steve Durr, for that. Uh, all right. So what's going on here? What's happening in this text? And, and the bigger question is, why are we interrupting the story for some kind of a random family history? If you've been reading Exodus up until this point, and if not, go back and look. Look at the context where this story gets, this uh, information gets put into the story. Like, the story is just getting going. Moses has confronted Pharaoh, and things have turned really bad for the Hebrews. As a matter of fact, where we ended reading last week, it sounded like the Pharaoh was actually successful in turning the people against Moses. So, we're kind of at a critical moment here. So what happens in the text? We get a family history lesson. It, it's kind of like when a character in a movie has a flashback. Think about like this would be uh, if there was a movie about this, like this would be where Moses might remember back to his childhood, some kind of lesson that he learned or some kind of a memory that would give him the inner resolve to push through this current obstacle that he's facing. The whole thing kind of hangs in the balance here. But instead of that, we get a genealogy. And, and it's actually a partial genealogy at that. So, like, what's the deal? Well, 
there is some evidence that uh, some of the genealogies like this one in the Bible could actually be partial lists. So rather than giving like the exact lineage, they might skip around a little bit. And an example would be with Moses' parents who are listed here, Emrem and Jochebed. If you compare this genealogy with some others and then compare some of the dates that are given, um, it seems like there might actually be a gap here. And it's possible that Emram and Jochebed were actually ancestors of Moses rather than his direct parents. And, and if that's the case, then you have to ask the question, okay, so why are they listed here but, but not some of the generations in between? Like, why would you want to call them out specifically? Well... Read the list again. Is there anything that jumps out to you as being a little bit off about it? Something a bit uh, icky, perhaps? Verse 20, it says, Amram married his father's sister. Yes, it was actually Aunt Jochebed. Like, ew, right? I mean, when you read that, like I did, uh, you might have thought, you know... This was a really different time, <laughs> clearly. Different time, different culture, right? I mean, like, I know that in ancient times people had different customs and there, and there are different rules maybe. So, like, maybe this kind of thing was really more common uh, many centuries ago. And uh, if we think about even more recent history, you know, recorded history only a couple thousand years or so ago, like, we know that marriage uh, was common to have large age gaps, um, Women were married and having children much younger. That by the standards of today would make us say, ooh, that's, that's not right. So maybe like we could give a pass uh, to our uh, friend Amram here. Um, after all, there were other relationships in the Old Testament that would certainly be considered scandalous by today's standards. I mean, <laughs> actually, there were plenty of relationships in the Bible that were actually scandalous even by the standards of their own day. So maybe we could give him a pass here on, on this, except for one thing. After Moses, if we fast forward in the story, after Moses eventually leads the people out of Egypt and they do worship God at that mountain, where he promised that they would, God gives them the Ten Commandments along with a list of other rules and regulations. In Leviticus 18, God insists, he says, listen, guys, when, when you get where we're going, it's really important that you do not act like the people of Egypt where you came from or like the people of Canaan where we're going. You must not imitate their way of life. And then in verse 12, there's this little gem. Do not have sexual relations with your father's sister, for she is your father's close relative. Again, ew, right? It, it's like when you see a really stupid rule and you think, wow, this was actually enough of a problem. We have to have a rule for that. I mean, that, we really need a rule for that. Okay. Now, now granted, at the time... Uh, in the story of Amram and, and Jochebed, um, the law has not actually been given yet. So, you know, you, you can't necessarily hold them to that standard. But even so, this isn't exactly a high point of Moses' family tree, right? So you think, why, why would this be included? Now, there's another wife who's mentioned, not by name, uh, in this list. Of the four, actually, women who are in, uh, listed here, um, two of them are a little bit questionable. Uh, 
So what's the deal with this other one? Right at the beginning, there's a guy named Shaul, and it says that Shaul's mother was a Canaanite woman. Now, again, this has more significance later on, but what's the problem with that? Well, when the law is eventually given through Moses, marriage to Canaanite women is expressly forbidden. Deuteronomy 7. So why is that important if the law hasn't actually been given yet? Because even though at this point in the story the law has not been given, by the time the book of Exodus was written, the law had been given. That means that the person reading this book for the first time would have already known that marriage with Canaanites was forbidden and marriage with a father's sister was forbidden. The person reading this story would find these details to be scandalous. This list of names is not necessarily a who's who of the most spiritual and influential people of the family. This list does not demonstrate Moses' pedigree as being from an influential family. It does not seem to be included at this point in the story in order to impress the reader. And then how does this section conclude? Describing Moses as the person who is arguing with God. He's telling God what a clumsy speaker he is. The section of this whole family history concludes with Moses professing his inadequacy. The family history that is inserted into the narrative here does not tell the reader why Moses is so well suited to the task that God is calling him to. It's quite the opposite. The, this lesson might, uh, in family history might help us understand a little better why Moses actually is not the guy for the job. Maybe it helps us understand where he's coming from a little bit when he says to God, I don't think I can do this. Listen, God doesn't necessarily choose the best, does he? But he does bring out the best from the people he chooses. Moses says, I'm too clumsy. I don't talk good enough. God says, perfect. Then everyone will know that it's me. And I wonder, how about us? Do you ever feel like, man, God's got the wrong person here? I mean, come on, God, you know my history. You know my background. How could you expect me to accomplish anything for you? I'm not smart enough. I haven't studied enough. I'm not sharp enough, outgoing enough, thoughtful enough. God, what could you possibly accomplish through me? And then I think, you know, it's a good thing that God isn't limited by our limitations, isn't it? So how about you? Where do you feel like you don't have what it takes to step out into what God is calling you to? And what could God accomplish through you if your weaknesses didn't hold him back? Let's pray together. God, thank you for using people whom we might consider weak or scandalous even. Thank you that... um, that we can come to you no matter who we are, no matter where we've been, no matter what other people might think of us. God, it's up to you. <laughs> it, it, it's You don't need my strength in order to do what you want to do in the world, and you are not going to be hindered by my weakness. God, only... 
Only let us follow. Only let us go in faith where you call us to. And God, I pray that we will see uh, amazing things in our lives, in our community. God, that we will see you do amazing things and that everyone will know it had to be you. It couldn't have been us. But God, it had to be you. Thank you for being that kind of God. We give you uh, the praise for that today in your name. Amen. Have a great day.